Well, good morning. Happy New Year to all of you at all of our churches as we're beginning a brand new sermon series entitled today called Follow. But before we get into that, um, about two weeks ago, I told you that my wife stepped out of her comfort zone for this Christmas season and she came to me and she told me, she said, hey, don't buy me a Christmas present this year. Um, because I bought your Christmas present for me from you. And I could tell she was serious. And so I asked her, what did she buy me? And I said, and she said, I can't tell you. And that really puzzled me even more because I'm thinking I'm going to get her the perfect present and I'm not going to know what she's getting. And then I discovered why she wouldn't tell me. Because see, when our children got old enough that they could make money, we also wanted them to be good financial stewards and we didn't want them to waste money on Christmas. So we started drawing names and so that everybody only has to buy one Christmas every year or one Christmas present for a family member every year. And so that's kind of what we've been doing. And Melody and I, sometimes we'll go together and we'll buy us a Christmas present together. Sometimes I'll buy her Christmas present because I always buy her a Christmas present um, because that's the right thing to do because one of her love languages is gifts. And even though she says, oh, you don't have to buy me a Christmas present. Oh, yes, you do. I'm telling you. <clears throat> So, but this year I was like, wow, I'm going to get her the perfect gift. What happened? So Christmas morning, we start opening up these Christmas gifts and I realized through the process that my son had my name, but my son didn't buy my Christmas gift. It got hijacked by his mom. She told him what he, she was buying for me from him as well. So not only did she buy her a Christmas gift from me, she bought me a Christmas gift for my son. And so we open them up and they're the same thing. And so she bought us, we have a pond in our place that we'll, we go to have our dates now because there's nobody there, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, and um, so she bought these rustic Arondack chairs for us and they're identical. And now I figured out why she would not tell me what I had bought her because she bought me the same thing. Well, my son did. One of them did anyhow. So, and then, so I said to my son, I said, Hey, that had to be pretty expensive. This is, this is a gift better. So my wife went way outside her comfort zone. I even said to my son, I said, Hey, that's had to be pretty expensive. If you'd like us to help us with that, with that gift that you bought for me, that your mom told you to buy for me, um, we'll be glad to help you with the money. And he goes, Oh, that's okay. Mom paid for the whole thing, dad. <laughs> So my wife went way outside the comfort zone. For those of you that have been texting, calling, seeing me saying, are you going to tell us what happened? That's exactly what happened. Most unusual Christmas with my wife in years, but I guess that's what happens when you have an empty nest for the very first time. You just do things you've never done before, right? So yeah, y'all give it up at all the campuses for my wife for stepping outside the comfort zone. Yeah, she did it. She did good. So I'm, I'm excited. That's, um, yeah, that's cool. So um, hey, not only excited about that, but also I'm excited about this series entitled Follow, because here's what we believe. We believe it, what, it, what it was going to do for you and what it's going to do for the future of this church is just absolutely beyond anything we can imagine. Because the reality is this, if you've been with us for the past few years, you know it has been an exciting ride. I mean, think about it. 
2020, next year, I mean, just think about this, all of our campuses, next, next, um, next year, not next, excuse me, next week, not next year, we're going to be celebrating the 10-year anniversary of the Mariana campus. I mean, that's pretty incredible. 10 years ago, we started the Mariana campus. It's been an amazing journey. We'll deal with that, that, that celebration next week for all, with all of our campus. But here's the thing. For the last 20-something years, God has just been doing amazing, amazing things, and it's just unreal to think about what God has done. But here's what we believe. We believe that what we're going to discover as a church during this series, what we're going to be challenged to do, not only individually, but together as the body of Christ, makes the next 10 years even more exciting. So I just want to challenge you, don't miss any of this series, any of this five-week conversation. Conversation. In fact, some, um, some years ago, I heard a statement that really changed everything that I thought about this whole thing of following Jesus. And it, and it was so life-changing for me, and it was so life-changing for the ministry of our church. So we're going to build our whole conversation for these next four, uh, excuse me, it's going to be six weeks, really, because it was going to be five, and then I added another one. So anyhow, um, for these next six weeks, we're going to build this conversation around this statement. And the statement is this. Salvation is free. It costs me nothing. Following Jesus will cost me something. Now, here's why this statement is so absolutely important for us. It's because 26 years ago, there was a small group of about 35 of us that we committed to the dream, and it was just a really a simple goal that we were going to create a church that was going to inspire people to follow Jesus. Our point or our goal was not to make a point about how right we were to the world and how wrong they were. It wasn't about to win any kind of cultural wars. We just wanted to inspire people. And when we say people, we mean all people, like people who believe like us, people who don't believe like us, people who are church people and people who aren't church people, people who are very certain about God and then people who are skeptical about God. Like we wanted to create a place that inspired people to follow Jesus Christ. Which brings us to this question, and this is the question that we're going to be unpacking for these next six weeks, and that is this. What does it mean to follow Jesus? What, what does it mean to do that? And so these next few weeks, we want to answer this question like as clearly as we possibly can. And here's why we believe that is so important for us to do. Because we believe as a church that following Jesus will make your life better and make you better at life. Now, here's the thing. It doesn't matter whether you consider yourself a Christian or not a Christian. Here's the thing. We know whether, whatever church you're at with us this morning, it's like we know you're trying to have a better life. And you're trying to be better at life. Like we all want to be better people, don't we? In the beginning of the year, we just kind of set ourselves up there. We want to be better sons. We want to be better daughters. We want to be better husbands. We want to be better wives. We want to be better moms and dads and friends and coworkers and neighbors. And here's the thing. As a church, we are absolutely convinced that the best way to do that is to follow Jesus Christ. Now, now, some of you, you may be with us at one of our churches this morning, and you may not believe that following Jesus will make you better, and, and we respect that. But here's what I know. Whenever you meet someone who doesn't think following Jesus is a good idea, it is because it was most often because they were misinformed about what it means to follow Jesus Christ. 
For example, many of us, we've kind of been taught, if you grew up in church world, we were taught that being a Christian is like this big game of Jesus says. So it's like you've been taught that here, if you want to play this game right, you got to play by these rules. You go, because Jesus says pray, and then Jesus says don't look at that, and Jesus says go to church, and Jesus says be kind, and Jesus says, hey, you can't go there, or Jesus says you can't do that, or Jesus says read your Bibles, or Jesus says do this, that, or that, because that's what good Christians do. So we're taught that you got to follow the rules of Jesus says. Now, here's the thing. If you've ever tried to play that game, eventually it wore you out. And most of you, at some point in time, you had to take a break from that game. And then here's this secret that nobody likes to say out loud. Like you probably enjoyed the break. It was like a relief because the break was way more fun than following all the Jesus said rules. But then after a while, here's what happens. Your conscience kicked in or your mama talked to you or you heard a sermon at church and you had to deal or you had to deal with like some painful consequences. So you decided, hey, I better get back into the Jesus says game. Let me try it again. And so that cycle starts all over again. So it may come to you as a relief to know that Jesus never taught that Jesus says game is what it means to follow him. In fact, as you study the life and ministry of Jesus, you discover that Jesus invited all types of people to follow him. He invited religious people. He invited non-religious people. He invited good people, bad people, insiders and outsiders. And his invitation to every person was always the same. He said, start right where you are and follow me just as you are. So for the next few weeks, what we want to do is want to clarify what Jesus meant when he looks at a person and he says, follow me. And then here's kind of what we're going to discover and what we're going to pack. See, some of us may think that we're following Jesus, but we're not really following Jesus. And in all reality, what we're doing is we're following this religious system that somebody told us we had to do in order to follow Jesus, but it's it's no value to us when it comes to following Jesus. It's not even close to what Jesus meant when he said, follow me. And then here's the other thing we're going to do is we're going to discover that some of us, we're refusing to follow Jesus because we want nothing to do with the version or the model that we were taught of this is what it means to follow Jesus. But here is some great news. If you're resisting follow Jesus, following Jesus, most likely you're resisting a version that is not accurate. So over the next few weeks, if you find yourself kind of thinking, well, I didn't know that, or that's not what I was told, or I thought being a follower of Jesus meant something different than that, well, that's not your fault. It's just somebody misinformed you along the way. But here's the good news. Our prayer is, and this is what we're really praying for you, is that you'll discover that something so freeing, something that's so attractive, something that is so inviting, something that is so helpful, that you will change your mind and you will decide to follow Jesus in the way that he has invited you to follow him. Now, whenever we talk about following Jesus, people always have some different reactions. In fact, they normally fall into about four different categories. See, when we mention following Jesus, some of you may have one of these four reactions. Some of your reactions may be, well, I'm not qualified to follow Jesus. 
Like you don't know what I've done. And then others of you, there may another group of you might think, well, I don't want to follow Jesus because, I mean, I wouldn't like that. Like who wants to follow a bunch of rules? And then some of you will think something like this. Your reaction may be, well, I've got to clean up my life if I'm going to follow Jesus. Like there's some things I need to change before he'll even invite me to follow him. And then there's another group that may think something like this, like, well, I'm good enough to follow Jesus as a person. Like, I'm this moral person. I'm this religious person. I've always lived a good life. In fact, your thought might be, Jesus would want me to follow him because I could be the model and I could be the example of a good Jesus follower. And if that's you, you're a Pharisee. <laughs> Just saying. Because here's the reality. All four of those reactions, they are so wrong. And to show you why they're all wrong, we want to look at a story about one of Jesus' first followers. And this guy's name is Matthew. And the story can be found in a book that he wrote. And this is so original, a book called Matthew. So he's writing a story about his experience with Jesus, and, and he titles it Matthew. It's, a, it's the first book in the New Testament, if you want to look it up with us. And here's what Matthew says, Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 9. It says, as Jesus went from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Now, this last line, sitting at the tax collector's booth, it says it all. I mean, like, if you were a tax collector, you were like a traitor of your country, you were considered a cheat and a thief. In fact, to be, in fact, to be a tax collector, you basically had to sell your loyalty to Rome. So being a tax collector is like about the worst possible thing that you could do. Like, this is like betraying your nation, it's betraying your God. So any Jewish man who bought the opportunity from Rome to collect taxes from the Jews was considered like the lowest of the low. You're like the scum of the earth. You are the outcast. In fact, one of the best ways I've heard to describe the category of a tax collector in our culture in terms of emotions that it would elicit, it would be like the person who hangs out the park and sells drugs to middle schoolers when they come to play at the park. See, like tax collectors are absolutely disgusting in their culture. They were hated. They were outcasts. They couldn't go to the temple. Like they couldn't be part of society. And Matthew is telling us that he was one of those people. He was absolutely hated by all the Jewish people. So Jesus comes along and he walks up to Matthew's booth where he's ta collecting taxes. And Jesus could have said so many different things to Matthew because he's God. He's perfect. He knows everything. Like he could have walked up to Matthew and got real sarcastic and condemning to Matthew. And he could have said like, Matthew, I bet your mom's real proud of you right now. Like you should be really ashamed of yourself. I mean, he could have said something like that. Or he could have said, Matthew, you know, here's the list of all the things that you've done wrong over this over the years. Here's the list of all the people that you've cheated. Like, here's why you're not acceptable. Here's why you're such an outcast. He didn't say any of that. And the other thing is he didn't say, like, Matthew, if you're willing to do this, this, and this, you can follow me. Or he didn't say, like, Matthew, if you'll stop doing this, this, and this, then you can follow me. But what Jesus does is he looks at this tax collector right in the eyes and I think as Matthew is writing this, it's something that Matthew probably got emotional about as he's writing this 
Because I think it's a moment in Matthew's life that Matthew would never forget. Because Jesus looks the scum of the earth in everybody else's eyes right in the eye. And he says to Matthew, he says, follow me. Now, here's why this is so significant for us. This is the same invitation that Jesus extended throughout the Gospels to all kinds of people. But not just throughout the Gospels. He extends it to you and to me. And that's why if you feel unqualified to follow Jesus or like you need to first clean up your life first, then you're so wrong about what it means to follow Jesus. Like nobody is worse than Matthew. And Jesus walks up to Matthew and he says to Matthew, follow me. And look at what Matthew does. Matthew got up and followed him. And all the people that are watching this interaction are thinking, it can't be that simple. I'm like, Jesus, this is a tax collector that you're talking to. Like, do you understand? This is the scum of the earth. This is a cheat. This is a thief. This guy wrongs everybody. He wounds and he abuses everybody. Let me just say, if this just seems too simple for you, that Jesus walks up to this tax collector's booth and looks at this guy and goes, follow me. Can I tell you something that seemed too simple for the religious people of Jesus' day as well? And also, don't miss the ripple effect of all the guys who are already following Jesus. In fact, I heard one person say it this way one time. They said, this had to be Peter's worst day in his life until he denied Jesus at the crucifixion, right? It's like, this, this was horrible. Jesus, you're going to ask Matthew to be one of us? And so Jesus looks at Matthew and goes, hey, why don't you come with us? And I think the rest of the disciples are going, are you, are you kidding? You want him to come with us? And then the story continues and it gets very, very interesting. Look at this next detail in verse 10. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house. So one moment we're at a tax collector's booth and the next moment we're at Matthew's house having dinner. And it's like, wait just a minute. I thought Matthew was following Jesus, not Jesus following Matthew. It's kind of like Jesus says to Matthew, Matthew, follow me. And Matthew goes, well, where we're we going? And Jesus says, well, why, why don't we just go to your house? And see, that was like completely unexpected to Matthew. The whole idea that Jesus would say, let's just go to your house. And for some of you, the idea of Jesus coming along to your life today and saying to you, hey, would you follow me? And let's just go somewhere where you are comfortable. I mean, that just like seems crazy to you. It just seems like Jesus would never do that. Because see, in our minds, in most of our minds, that's not what we think about Jesus or God. We think that Jesus has come to convict and, and condemn and correct. Because that's what we've picked up from, from people who call themselves Christians who live their life playing the Jesus says game. Like, you don't think Jesus would want to be with you whatever you're up to or wherever you are. 
But you know, Jesus did this all the time. I mean, there's another guy by the name of Zacchaeus. Like he just went to where people were at and were comfortable. In fact, look at what happens next. Many, not just a few, not just a few show up at this dinner, but many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him, referring to Jesus and his disciples. Now, here's why this is such a big deal. If you're new to this whole Christianity thing and you're just kind of exploring Christianity or you got burned by some Christians or a church and you're just like, okay, I'm going to try it one more time at the beginning of the year. Listen, this is so absolutely important for you. Jesus would like you no matter who you are or what you've done. Jesus would not be put off by your sin and Jesus would not be uncomfortable with you even though he knows all about you. He would be so comfortable that he could sit down and have lunch or dinner with you even in your home and it wouldn't even make you feel uncomfortable. I mean, think about this. Jesus knows the hearts of all men and all women, including Matthew. Like, knowing what Matthew did last summer, knowing what Matthew did last year, knowing what Matthew did last night, Jesus looks at Matthew and says, Matthew, follow me. And people like Matthew, many of them, they did the same thing. Because they loved being around Jesus. That's why if you feel like that you want no part of following Jesus, it's likely because you've yet to understand what it really means to follow Jesus. Because see, following Jesus, it's an invitation to a relationship. Now, all the religious people, all the, quote, righteous people, they're kind of shadowing all this and they've gathered around Matthew, Matthew's home and they dare not go in or touch any of the property because like that would like in their minds make them ceremonially unclean for like months. So they see some of Jesus' disciples, they can kind of get Jesus' disciples' attention and they ask him a question. Look at verse 11. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why? Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors? And sinners. In other words, like, we are absolutely confused. Like, why does Jesus like people that are nothing like him? Why does he hang out with those kind of people? Don't miss this. Our baggage, our sin, our depravity, they are not barriers that keep Jesus from inviting us to be with him. They're not barriers to Jesus inviting us to follow. Now, the Pharisees, they thought it should. That's why they asked this question, like, why? Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But that's not an issue for Jesus. Because following Jesus is an invitation to a relationship. In fact, Jesus clears this up for them in verse 12. Notice what he says. On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Now imagine if you're Matthew and Jesus at your house and you're hearing this, well, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I don't know how all this went down, but maybe I just pictured Jesus with a smile on his face. He's saying, hey, Matthew, come on, listen, you're a tax collector. We know you're sick spiritually. At which point, you know, Matthew and his friends, they could have all been really offended about this, but they weren't. 
But Jesus does offend a group of people. He offends some religious people because he doesn't ever not offend the religious people. That's what he did as Jesus. Like, here's the thing. It's so incredible. Like, Jesus didn't offend the sinners. He offended the religious people. That's so, so cool. And look at verse 13. He says, to, he says to these religious people, but go and learn what this means. And that, that is so offensive because they thought they knew what everything meant. Because they're like better followers of God than anybody else. He says, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And this line right here, for I have not come to call. I mean, like this is so important. Like Jesus is saying to these religious people, he's going, listen, I am not content to simply be with people who believe all the right things. I'm not simply content to hang out with people who behave all the right ways. I want to join with the people who believe the right things and behave the right ways in order to call the people who don't believe all the right things and behave all the right ways. That's what I want to do. Now, here's why this is so important for those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ. We dare not become a church that is content together as consumers and spectators and expect hired holy men and holy women to do the ministry. We dare not become that kind of church. That becomes just these spectators and consumers who, like, we believe all the right things and we behave in our minds all the right ways and we stop there. Because here's the thing, if we ever drift there, we will find ourselves standing outside the very room and the lives of people that Jesus wants to inhabit. See, Jesus comes to call, not the righteous, but those who are spiritually sick, those who understand that they are a sinner in need of a savior, which is why years ago, and if you've been around here very long, you've heard me say this before, we made the commitment that we were going to be a reaching church. And we said this, like if we, would ever, if we ever stop making that our priority, then we would close our doors. Because it doesn't help anybody as we're going to see through this series, to become spectator and consumer kind of pharisaical kind of Christians. It's why I don't want to pastor a church. I don't want to attend a church that is all about just believing the right things and behaving the right way and forgetting that we are forgetting what we have been called to do as followers of Jesus Christ. Like we have been called to partner with our Savior for those who have like this sneaking suspicion that they need something. That think, you know, I am sick spiritually and I'm so ashamed of it. I don't want any Anybody to know it. Like there's got to be something so much better than this life. Like we have been called, we've been given the opportunity to partner with our Savior for those who would acknowledge, I'm outside the faith. I need a Savior. Listen, the church that is content to believe the right things and behave the right way but stops there, you know what they become? They become a church of Pharisees. They eventually become so judgmental that they become the people who say, listen, as soon as you change, you can be part of us. In fact, 
That was the Pharisee's message. It was simply this. Hey, you change, you be like us and you can join us. Change and you can join us. But Jesus, however, he showed up and he said, listen, follow me. And following me will change you. Literally, when Jesus said to Matthew, follow me, he's like, I'm not expecting you to do anything in this moment right now, Matthew, except to stand up and follow me. And oh, by the way, the next step of following me is we're going to go to your house. Like, I just want to invite you to take little baby steps and follow me. But it's kind of like Jesus is saying to Matthew in this whole statement of follow me, as we're going to see, it's like he's, he's kind of warning him in this whole statement. Like, if you follow me for very long, like one of these days, Matthew, you're going to look in a mirror and you're not going to recognize who you see, not because you've played this endless game of Jesus says, but because you follow Jesus. And when you follow Jesus, you become like Jesus. What matters to Jesus matters to you. His character, his virtues, you begin to have as fruit of your life. So what does this mean for us when it comes to following Jesus? Here's what it means. First of all, for, for one group of you, those of you who go, I don't think God would ever love me. I don't think God would ever ask me. I don't think God would want to have a meal with me. Here's what this means for you. It means regardless of where you are in your life, how far you feel like you've slipped away from God, the invitation to follow Jesus is for you. Don't miss this. Whether you're a Christ follower or not a Christ follower, you need to understand this. Being a sinner does not disqualify you. It is a prerequisite. Like every single person that Jesus invited to follow him and every single person that said yes to follow Jesus was a sinner. Every single person. In fact, the only people who refused to follow Jesus were the people that thought they were righteous, that thought they had it together. In fact, the less perfect a person was, the greater their candidacy was in terms of becoming a follower of Jesus Christ, which means this for you. There is no sin, there is no habit, there is no addiction, there is no problem that puts you outside the circle of those who have been invited to follow Jesus. So being a sinner, it does not disqualify you, it is a prerequisite. So for one group of you that feel like Jesus wouldn't want anything to do with you, you need to understand, Jesus is inviting you today, follow me. Now... If you are a Christ follower or call yourself a Christ follower, you need to remember this. Following, truly following Jesus forces me to focus on where I am rather than where you are not. Because see, when I'm truly a follower of Jesus Christ, I wake up every day and my goal is to the best of my ability to simply follow Jesus. And I don't have time to judge you because there's too much about me that I know that Jesus needs to work on in me. In fact, another way to say it would be this. The more conscious I am of the work God has yet to do in me, and let me just stop right here on this statement. The more conscious I am of the work that God has yet to do in me, the more conscious I am, the more sin I confess. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ and you're not confessing sin daily, you're not really conscious of the work that God has yet to do 
in you. The more conscious I am of the work God has yet to do in me, the less critical I am of what God is yet to do in you. It's huge, folks. I think some people applauded because they were convicted and some people didn't applaud because they weren't convicted. I mean, because they were convicted. Because it's reality. Because see, the more conscious I am of my sin and the change that not God needs to bring about in my life, the less judgmental I am about other people and what God needs to do in their lives. I mean, this, this Christmas season, I, I dealt with so many different family issues where I thought about this. I thought, you know, if you would not tear your family up this Christmas if you would focus on your sin instead of the sins of your family members. You, you absolutely could get together and have a great Christmas even though there's a sinner in your family. If you would be more focused on your sin and what God is yet to do in me, then less critical because of what God is yet to do in you. Which is why, listen, when you find a church full of people who truly follow Jesus Christ, when it comes to call the sick and the sinners and those who need a savior, like when you find a group of people like that, and I'm telling you, that has been the history of this church. It is why it has grown. It is why it's been contagious. Like there is something that is just extraordinarily powerful. And I'm just telling you, after 20 something years, I'm telling you, we're on the verge of slipping away from that. And it's scares me to death as a pastor. I'm watching us. I mean, I got an email from some people this week going, yeah, it was on one of our campuses. They're like, I couldn't believe after last week's sermon, there were people in our parking lot that were smoking. I'm like, you miss it. You, you just totally miss it. See, the more conscious I am of the work God has yet to do in me, See, the more I confess my sin, the more I'm aware of what God is doing to me, the less critical I am of what God is yet to do in you. So here's the question as we launch this series. And this question is this, it's a personal one. And I want you to wrestle with it all week long. Am I following Jesus really? Not, not how much scripture do I know? Not how much do I pray? Not, you know, how much, you know, how much have I read the Bible or how, did I pray the prayer? Did I go to the altar and pray the prayer? Did I commit to a church and have a church letter? But am I actively, intentionally engaged in the process of following Jesus Christ? And I want to say something. If your heart is not for those who are lost and sick in sin, I question whether you can say you're following Jesus. Like to, like to say, am I actively following Jesus who comes to call those who need a savior? Because I'm telling you, his invitation extends to every single person on the planet, including that person in your family, that person in your neighborhood, that person in your workplace who is not living up to the standard you think they should live up to. So as we begin 2020, the big question is this, am I following Jesus? Am I following Jesus really? And for the next few weeks, we're going to unpack what this means in a whole lot more detail. So you do not want to miss these next few weeks because I'm telling you, as a group of churches, we're going to move together and grow in this amazing relationship that we can have with Jesus Christ. And it's not characterized by a thousand things that we do, but by a simple word, the word follow. I just want to remind you as we close out today, if you're not yet a Christ follower, 
you need to remember this. Sin does not disqualify you. A lack of belief does not disqualify you from following Jesus. Because see, following Jesus is an invitation into a relationship. And maybe today's the first time you ever knew that. So all of our churches, will you bow your heads with me? If you've never made the decision to follow Jesus Christ because you didn't think you could fit in, that he would want to hang out with you, will you start this year by just making this declaration in your heart as I make it out loud? Will you just say, Jesus, today, um, I thank you for the invitation. I thank you that you come to me right where I'm at, and I know I have got loads of sin that you and I are going to have to deal with as I go down the road of following you. But Jesus, thank you that you're going to love me through this and that you're going to help me through it. And you're going to give me the strength to do that. So right now, I ask you to come in my heart, ask you to forgive me of all my sin, and I ask you to be my Lord and my Savior from this day forward. Today, I choose to follow you. If you just pray that prayer, and we want you to let us know that. Just stop by the gallery, let us know. Um, talk to one of our staff. We'd love, to, we'd love to help you continue to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. But some of you who call yourself Christ followers, this needs to be your prayer. Just say, Jesus, I've been following rules instead of diving into a relationship with you. And I've become critical, become judgmental. I've lost my heart for those that are lost. And today I, I, I choose to begin following you and I, I want to be more aware of my sin and what you have yet to do in me and help me to become not even critical at all of others because of what you have yet to do in them. God, I, I thank you for your amazing grace. May we all live in it and may we all share it freely. In Jesus' name, we give you thanks. Amen. Hey, thanks everyone for being with us. We will see you next Sunday. Have a great week.